Well, good morning, everybody. And uh, I have to say, it's, it's not just a privilege, but it's a, just a terrific joy to be with you today. And I would like you to know that Paul sometimes says, you know, that it, the word has gone out about you. And that you can, we can say the same thing here, King's Church, Amersham. Word goes out about you, and, and you may never hear that word, but I frequently hear people who said they have been to King's Church, Amersham, and, and just bring a great report about you. So don't think that just what you do is, <laughs> is mundane or it doesn't make an impact. Believe me, it does. So, um, great things about you. Well, my title this morning is The Gospel. You can come at this at all avenues, all different ways. And uh, we're simply going to read Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 to 30. If you have a Bible, I find it's helpful to open it so that you know your way around your Bible. If you haven't, the words will come up on screen behind me. And we're going to do the chunk there of 27 to 30, but... Uh, I'm going to pick up a little bit later on, primarily on verse 27. So let's read that, shall we? Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, Striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. And that by God, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now here that I still have. Now, the reason I come here into Philippians because this letter throbs and pulsates with the passion of the gospel. It's just utterly unmissable. It's, and all the, way, all the way through it, and early in this first chapter, he, he, he goes in verse 12, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers, and he's writing this from a Roman prison, and he's chained to a guard. And he said, I want you to know. And you think, now he knows this church in Philippi. And he knows them personally. He does know them personally. And so you expect him to give a report on how he's doing. How, you know, how are you getting on? How are you coping? Is he okay? And he goes, no, I, now I, I want you to know, brothers and sisters. And then he tells them what he really wants them to know. That what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. This is just the gospel. And, and there's nothing about the conditions he's experiencing. There's no pity party going on here. It's all about the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. And then he talks a little bit further on in that first chapter. And he comes to this phrase, for me to live is. For me to live is what? What does he... For, should we say that again? For me to live is... I say, so let me ask the question. Is it? Oh, that's a challenging statement. I got stuck on this, Phil. I keep getting stuck on this one. For me to live is. What, 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 come on, what, what, just have a think. What, what are you living for? 
says that this is what makes this man move. This is what, this is what he lives for, breathes for, for me to live as Christ. Uh, what is it for you? Is it, is it your, for me to live as my family? Is that sort of snuck in there? For me to live as my job? For me to live as my holidays? I like holidays. What would you do? What would Jesus say? You know, possibly Jesus might say, for me to live as you. For me to live as you. C.S. Lewis says the church is the only organization that exists for its non-members. King's Church Amateur, that's your DNA. That's what you are like. Don't you ever forget it. It runs and breathes for you. I know this because I've been a part of this church. For you to, for you to live is for non-members. You, you have, um, you've always wanted people to know Jesus Christ. You've always wanted that. I've seen that time and time again. On your website, you have a section and it goes, uh, KCA in the community. This is not just a holy huddle going on here. This is who you are. That you're looking out for others. Now, before we go any further um, in this letter, I want to begin with a clip from a film from, called Schindler's List. Uh, if you've seen the film, just put up your hand, can you? Yes, okay, that's a lot of you. Okay. Um, for those of you who haven't, and please understand this, um, remember this, I'm not trying to exaggerate uh, or hype your feelings. If you've never seen this clip before, for me personally, I found it particularly moving. And Oskar Schindler is a German businessman in the Second World War. And when he witnesses, when he witnesses the SS branch of the Nazis exterminating Jews in the uh, Krakow ghetto, Schindler begins to feel compelled to turn his factory into a refuge. His focus shifts from saving money to saving lives. It's based on a true and remarkable story. He saved over 1,100, 1,100, 1,100 people from the gas chambers. So this scene comes right at the end of the film. And... Um, it's when the Second World War has just ended and the workers are expressing their gratitude. Can we just show that film, please?
it's a moving film, and it's about making a massive difference in people's lives. Many years ago, I woke up one morning, and uh, it was as if I'd been in a dream. And I woke up with these words, uh, black words on a white background, and um, and I could see I have many people in this place. The words, I have many people in this place. Actually, in Acts 18, it says, I have many people in this city. I have many people in this place. And that very day, I was off to a two-day conference. And a leaders' two-day conference, and I was up there. And, and the first morning, they had this prayer time. And it was about growing the church. And I went forward. I went forward, and then... Um, this first person came to me. People came to pray for me independently. There were three of them. They, none were around. They just randomly came. This first person came, starts to pray for me, and then uh, he, he just stops and says, Neil, I believe God is saying to you, I have many people in this place. And the second person comes and he prays and and then they're all independent. They're never overhearing one another. The third person comes and he's praying for me. And then he stops and he goes, You know, Neil, I believe God is saying to you, I have many people in this place. I think God knows I'm a little bit thick. So he tells me three times, you know, it's just, I have many people in this place. It's God's word to me. That I don't think that just applies to me in High Wycombe. I think that applies to any church, anywhere. I have many people in this place. And this is, this is where we are. This is what we are about. We can be part of changing the eternal destiny of hundreds, hundreds, not even hundreds, it's too small a figure, thousands of people. We can have that, we can have that point of doing that. Eternally changed. So you go, oh my goodness me, what's all this got to do with the letter in Philippi? <laughs> you know, it's where you started. I tell you, everything. Everything. In a Roman prison, this man is moved by what moves Jesus Christ. Paul is moved by what moves Jesus Christ. And what is it that moves him? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. It's mentioned more times in this letter proportionally than any other letter. When you look at the, uh, Mark's account of Jesus, it opens with the beginning of the gospel, brackets, good news about Jesus Christ. It's, well, it's for people, my friends. And Paul is grateful for, he says, their partnership in the gospel. And then he wants them to know as he sits in his prison, it's only served to advance the gospel. I'm here, but it's just advancing the gospel. You've got to admire this man's faith and his heart and his passion. He says, I'm to confirm the gospel. It's given most people confidence to, verse 14, proclaim the gospel. And at the end of the letter, he writes this, all God's people send you greetings. And he could have left it there. That's a nice ending. All God's people send you greetings. But he doesn't. And he continues to write, and he goes, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. What's going on? The gospel is breaking right into the heart of the Roman Empire. How wonderful is that, the gospel? This gospel changes lives. 
So in verse 27, as, you, as we read that, it goes, whatever happens, church, whatever happens, conduct yourselves worthy of the gospel of Christ. So I want to address two points here. What is it to conduct ourselves in a worthy manner? And how can we do it? Because God has many people in this place. What is it to conduct ourselves in a worthy manner? And how can we do it? Now there's a particular Greek word that is used for conduct yourself. And it's only used twice in the New Testament. And I probably couldn't pronounce the word so I'm not going to try. But in both places it's perceived as having a political leaning. So you could look at this and go, whatever happens, live out your citizenship in a worthy manner. Here in Philippi, live out your citizenship in a worthy manner. So for those living in Philippi, this is huge significance. You use that phrase significant uh, citizenship and it means a huge amount to them. Philippi's boast was that it had the privileged status of a Roman colony. It was given to them by the emperor because they won this battle on the plains of Philippi. And so they were given citizenship. That's a huge deal. And people, retired soldiers would come to Philippi and they would have their citizenship. And it came with expectation and it came with rights. And his point here is, look, as Philippi was a colony of Rome, so the church is a colony of heaven. That's what it is. Did you know that? This church is Philippi. It's made up of all sorts of people. And he's encouraging you live as citizens of heaven. That's your primary citizenship. This church begins with a woman called Lydia who responds to the gospel. She's a woman of wealth. She has money. But then there's this slave girl. And then in between, so you've got one extreme to another. You've got wealth, and then you've got this uh, slave girl. And then in the middle, you've got this, this jailer and his household. Read all about it in Acts, Acts 16. And so you, in, this, in this church in Philippi, you've got everything in between. You have the whole spectrum there in the church. You'll have it here. And I know people say about Amersham that it's a well-to-do area and all of that. Well, great for Amersham, but the church picks up the whole spectrum. Hallelujah. It's just a wonder. The church is an absolute wonder. It picks up the whole spectrum. You will have that here. People coming from every experience, every culture, every background. Live out your citizenship. Conduct yourselves in a worthy manner. Whatever your background. Come on, do it. Live out your citizenship here. There's a man called Walter Cizek. He's a Jesuit priest in the 1930s. And he believed he was called to Russia. So he went And he was arrested in Russia on charges of espionage. And they sent him to the Libyanka jail. And he spent five years in solitary confinement. That's all night interrogations. Brutalized. Drugged. Threatened to death. And he did what he never thought he would do. 
In his weakness, he signed these papers that gave the impression that he was spying for the Vatican. And after he'd done it, he was consumed with guilt and utter shame. He was horrified that he had done such a thing. He was burning with the shame. He had seen himself as a disciplined, strong, self-reliant man, and it had all fallen apart. And it was in that moment, he's aware of his utter hopelessness, he was able to see, it would seem for the first time, the grace God had been offering him all his life. He writes this, I knew that I must abandon myself completely to the will of the Father and live from him, from not, live from now on in this spirit of self-abandonment to God. And I did it. He doesn't say that, by the way, in a boastful way. He says, I can only describe the experience as a sense of letting go, giving over totally my last effort or, any, or even any will to guide the reins of my own life. It's all too simply said. Yet that one decision has affected every subsequent moment of my life. I have to call it a conversion. It was at once a death and a resurrection. This man experiences a new life in Jesus Christ and it changes his whole life, his whole perspective, his whole viewpoint. He spent a further 13 years in a Siberian forced labor camps. Everywhere they moved him, he left behind followers of Jesus Christ. Everywhere. And when his sentence was over, he was given, given limited freedom. That means you could only live and work in a certain area. He worked in a chemical factory. And soon attendance to midnight mass grew so large that the authorities moved him on. Another place, another job. And wherever he went, he just did the same. He just said, are these communities of Jesus gathered around and became followers of Jesus Christ? And they kept springing up. And every time he was moved, churches were started. And the Russian authorities were giving him the opportunity to do the very thing they didn't want to happen. He loved people. And all he did was share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He, this is what he did. He wouldn't ever speak ill of people. Well, that's a good start. He wouldn't ever speak ill of people. Not even authorities. Not even the guards. Cizek simply loved people. And the life he had been given, he just gave it away. He just gave it away. Even the camp informants, he heard their confessions. He gave them communion. My friends, the gospel is not about reformation. It's about transformation. It's about transformation. You become a new person in Christ. This is not a self-help program that goes on in terms of being a Christian. It's not turning over a new leaf. 
And it's not trying to be a better person. It's a transformation. To be a Christian is, the Bible tells us we are new creations. We are new people. That's, that's what happens to us. Cezek simply loved people. He writes, God's will is for me right where I am every day. And he used to think God's will was something that he had to keep searching for. But he realized actually God's will was to live out this gospel, this good news, this grace, this kindness, this power of God, wherever he was. Wherever he was. He wanted to be just the best follower of Jesus he could be. So here's the question. Where will you be tomorrow? Who will you be working with? <laughs> Not that person. Yeah, probably that person. I mean, what situation are you going to find yourself in? What, 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 what have you planned for tomorrow? Look, whatever you've planned and wherever you are, just put it in your note here. I want to be the best follower of Jesus I can in this situation. Amen? I want to be the best follower. Jesus said, when you pray, and you know the prayer, he said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Here it is. Your will be done on earth. What? Just as it is in heaven. We are a colony of heaven here on earth. Live out your heavenly citizenship. In another letter, he uses a clothing metaphor. And he says, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. I tell you, these are all character traits of Jesus. They're the character traits of the citizens of heaven. I read on Twitter, uh, just shows you how limited my reading is. And uh, it says, we never read that Jesus moved by fear. Or Jesus moved by a desire to feel secure. We don't. We read that Jesus was moved by what? Compassion. He was moved by compassion. What is it to conduct ourselves in a worthy manner? My friends, live out your citizenship of heaven wherever you find yourself. Well, another thing we could say is, well, how, how can we do that? Um, so verse 27 is there again. Then he says in verse 27, whether I, look it up in your Bibles, then where, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of of the gospel. One spirit striving together as one. For the Christian, it can never simply be me and God. It is always we and God. Do we get that? That's really important here. It's not me and God, it's we and God. Why do you think you've got all these small groups? It's to help you connect with people, because we don't do me and God, you know, me and my private world. No, we do we and God. This is how you'll do the difference. You'll make the difference. It's per yeah, I know it's personal. 
We meet with God personally. I get that. I listen to baptisms and people's stories on baptism. And they all encounter God in different ways. And it's personal. But it's never private. We do this in community. See? Striving together. He puts us in family. No, no, no. He doesn't put us in a crowd. He puts us in family. His body, the church. It's God's way, my friends. You want to make the gospel count? Well, we do it in community. Uh, The wildebeest migrate all year round. And uh, some of you may have seen documentaries. And the best time of year, apparently, for this huge movement, and it's massive. It goes on in April and May. And thousands and thousands move from the southern, southern part of the Serengeti. And it's, it's just, it's phenomenal to watch. I invite you to do it. I mean, it's just terrific to watch. It's just thousands and tens of thousands, and they're crossing the rivers. And, I mean, it's massive. Awesome. But on the edges of all that movement, that migration of wilderness, wildebeest, are all the predators. They're all on the edges. Why? Because they're looking for those wildebeests that are on the edges. And that are just getting separated from the pack. And have them. Don't do that. Don't do that. When we become adrift and we become solitary, we get in trouble. Christians, get in the center of what God is doing here in this church. And he's telling the church, you need one another. I remember as a young Christian, I, I went out to a social occasion. And um, <laughs> I met this chap. And he obviously had problems about Christianity. And he wiped the floor with me. I mean, I, <laughs> I, tried, to re- I tried to respond to him. I mean, and I, feel, I feel embarrassed when I think about it. Because I, I just didn't have answers to things that he was saying to me. And he just, he just left me in a heap. I sort of crawled out the door of that social occasion thinking, I'm never going back there again. I never go. And uh, I was just wrecked, absolutely wrecked. He, he shredded me with arguments that I had never even considered. Shredded me. And uh, the following day, I was speaking to my friend Russ. And he began, Russ began to put me together little bit by little bit by little bit and encouraged me in my confidence. And encouraged me in the truth of the Jesus that I had encountered. And he made all the difference for me at that moment. We need one another. My friends, we need one another. We get strength from one another. We stand firm as one. So let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And of course, you are not in that habit of doing because you are here. But for anybody listening to this who's missed this occasion, he goes, so don't, don't do this on a, you know, perhaps I'll go to church, perhaps I won't. No, 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 no. We don't do that. We're going to be in. A little encouragement goes a long way. Somebody emailed me after a baptism morning we had, and um, she said this. She said, the love that radiated from every member yesterday was awesome. I felt like I was having a ceremony with people cheering all around me. It felt like family. And she brought a whole load of guests along with her. 
And they thought it was a fantastic morning. We do this together, my friends. So don't underestimate the power and presence of God when we're together. How do we live out our citizenship? Well, we live it out together. How else do we do it? We do it with character. Character always comes before charisma. Every church, the, I mean the early church, was known for being truthful, honest, reliable. It was known for that. In the second century, a Christian philosopher writes to the emperors of the day who are trying to squash the church. And he appeals to the emperor to, uh, about the conduct of God's people. And this is what he writes. You'll find this in a document uh, written by a man called Diogenes. Um, so he's not dodgy, but his name is Diogenes. And he says, with us, on the contrary, you will find unlettered people, tradesmen, and old women, who, through, who though unable to express in words the advantages of our teaching, demonstrate by acts the value of their principles. For they do not rehearse speeches, but evidence good deeds. When robbed, they do not sue. To those who ask, they give. And they love their neighbors as themselves. In other words, their whole life just pours this character traits of the kingdom out. A gospel life. Mother Teresa was invited to a national prayer breakfast day in Washington at the time of Bill Clinton. And she spoke powerfully of the war against the child, namely abortion. It was an awkward moment for the President Bill Clinton. And when he began his speech, he said, it's hard to argue against a life well lived. I thought, what a great, that's a good line from Bill Clinton. I hope he got that. So we're, listen, wherever we are, let's be known for our honesty. And let's be known for our reliability and our integrity. Let's be known that we're people of character. Somebody said we should live out our lives that cries out, join us, join us, join us. That's how we should. I'm here because they're here. So ask the Lord to help you love people until they ask why. We have a king's table at the moment. It's just been set up and we have, um, it's for people with addictions. So every week we have a, a lunchtime for people who have addictions. It's either lunch or evening. And the, and the numbers are growing each week of people coming. And the other day, the other week, and it's only been going a very short time, this man asked, I really get you guys, would you please pray for me? I don't know how much had been said to him or whatever, but he just saw the kingdom and the character of the kingdom at work. Kindness goes a long way. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. If you want a goal for the rest of this year, try kindness. Everywhere you go, every cashier you meet, every person in the shop, kindness. All the cues that you get in, try kindness. It's interesting. Wherever you are, wherever you go, and whoever you meet, and Jesus did this all the time, 
even on the cross. My friends, be the best follower of Jesus wherever you are. He has many people in this place and they need the gospel and you're the people through whom God loves to bring it. Amen? Great.